I just want to add on like the electric plane discussion, just because I, I live in Atlanta and I'm, I'm in Columbus, Ohio, and I've, I've spent 18 hours driving with my children on spring break. Uh, so I appreciate air travel. <laughs> I appreciate it very much. And, you know, but th- th- it's a perfect example of where, you know, we have battery technology that could be in planes today and people are working on these things, but a lot of issues related to safety and other stuff are made difficult because of the lack of predictability of system interfaces and things like that, right? That's that's the company, the Curvices. We make predictable interface materials out of aligned carbon nanotubes. And I say it's not sexy, but the reality is that a lot of times when you start peeling back the onion, some of the reasons why we don't use technologies or we can't scale them are related to things that are nicely matched to nanotechnology, like interfaces and like how things assemble together. How do we get to that golden age or, or that rose-colored uh, age, if, if you prefer your uh, quantum dots uh, nano? You know, I think oftentimes the energy, particularly the energy space, is really actually difficult for many reasons, actually. One reason is that energy, electricity, really it's a commodity and people want to buy the lowest price energy at all times. And that's natural. So if you're able to reduce the price below the competitors, which are often much dirtier, then you're in a golden era. So that's really how you do it, is you get yourself cheaper than the dirty competitors, which is sometimes possible. Solar and wind are in some places and in some instances cheaper, which is why there's a takeoff point for when solar installations really started to take off at some point. And that was basically at the break-even point, grid parity point. But it makes this extremely difficult for technologies that offer very little return in the market. So carbon capture is a really great example. It's very difficult to capture carbon and turn it into anything useful. There's people working on that. It's a nanotechnology problem. It might be 15 years off. I don't know how many years off it is to have a large scale solution to this. There's people who do it already in, in, in some ways, but to do it in a way that's cheaper than not doing it, that's going to take a lot more work. Um, and until, it, until it's done, it's only going to be a niche, I'm afraid. There's another um, portion of energy that's also very difficult and, and is different than a lot of other markets, I think, is that there's a lot of very expensive investment sitting on the ground all over the world and in all kinds of different you know, areas that the people who own it don't want to abandon it, of course, because they've put billions and billions of dollars into these to this infrastructure and it took them 10 years to install it and pay for it and develop it and they're expecting return after some you know sometimes 30 years or more so it's again a cost thing and you know oftentimes things that really have to happen at a large scale at least thinking about the cost is a really key way to get it to a golden age in my opinion I agree, but I, I would say that there's more than two axes here. I, I don't think it's simply green or not green and expensive or not expensive. I think that we can learn something from the automotive industry in that electric cars, for the most part, are not cheaper, but they perform better. So you are going to have certain people who adopt electric cars because they're greener. They're willing to pay that that tax, right, if you will. But then there are a, a lot more people are going to say, I just want to be able to, uh, you know, beat a Ferrari off the line and then beat a, a Jeep, you know, going over the mountain and an electric vehicle can get me there. So I agree with what you're saying 
Jeff, that the finances are a big issue, but I think that there are some benefits to some of the technologies we're seeing that might carry the day. I really believe that, um, you know, if there were some kind of policy that were mandating our air fleets to be, you know, zero emission by a certain amount of time, Boeing would be coming to companies like Barra's and saying, you know, what can you do for me? What can you deliver? And I need it yesterday, right? That's what I think that the pieces that's missing, that we're so profit-driven, you know, and and we all get it that, like, we want a cheaper car. We want a cheaper airline ticket. But somebody has to be the grown-up in the room and say, this is important for all of our survival and the survival of our children and our grandchildren, right? And that we have to do the right thing here. And so I, I don't see adoption without lower cost uh, unless that happens. Yeah, uh, what Mariel said, I, I think, and what Jeff said, this is why the problem is so difficult because you need all of it, <laughs> right? Right. You, you, you need a, you need a, in the market, be able to create multifaceted business cases that it's that simple as it's green, it's better. They go this way. It's performance, it's, it's savings on this, that, and this, and it becomes hard for a business model because then you have to have a different business model for so many different things to push it in. And then when you look at that complexity, then policy becomes poor. Right. I think the policy, like say, hey, everybody has to use predictable interfaces in a system. If you do something like that, then the people start to look for the solution and they use it. And I think because a lot, a lot of things are already cheap enough that people just don't look to because they have so much inertia going in one direction and they just, there's nothing to say, you know, get your head out of the hole and look. I think those are the low hanging fruits for policy. Um, but then some other things are more complex because you don't want to put policy on everything, but you need to try to see if you can create a market solution based on performance costs and other things. But then when you get stuck, then you got to turn back to policy. Well, I do think that there there are a lot of policy kind of momentum at this point in time to try and kind of help those solutions along. Um in, in my department, especially the energy earth shots um, are several ways that we're trying to aim for those sprints to, to meet very ambitious goals that, you know, we set them to make sure that they were ambitious. And I say we as the greater DOE we. And then I, I believe that Sally Benson also talked about the net zero game changers. And those are kind of the administration's kind of goal to really get to net zero. So there's, I think that, you know, we're starting to have those policy pushes, and we've had policy pushes in the past that have helped us get to the point we are now. So I think we're building on that momentum. But a large thing I think that, that you know, has been challenging is the communication, um, the science communication, especially about how, you know, you know, speaking to not only your students, Muriel, but also to the general public about what what is going on, what are the challenges that we're facing in the specific energy sector. Yeah, so that Game Changers report, for those who aren't familiar, uh, identified 37 technologies. And uh, and I, I was so pleased that Sally kind of had this this moment. She was like, I didn't realize that nanotech has a, has a role in almost every single one of these things. I thought that as someone who loves nanotech, that was very gratifying to me. 